Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How's it going? It's going well. It's going great. Good to see you again. Likewise. Yeah, your your beard is uh, getting pretty mighty again. Yeah, it, it, I, 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 it is. What can I say? Yeah. I put in the work every day yeah. by not shaving it. There you go. I like that. Oh, I like that's the that's the positive way of looking at it, you know, as opposed yeah. to being lazy. Now I'm putting the work in. I'm putting the work I, into this manly beard. I put that razor down every day. I don't shave. I, well, maybe it's all the Sean Connery talk from uh, our last episode we released. Because although clean shaven as Bond, he has maybe one of the greatest cinematic beards too. He's just, you know, he had a good looking beard. He did. I'm trying to think of what film. Hunt for Red October, good one. Oh, yeah. The Rock? The Rock, good one. Yeah. I uh, am the last one. Yeah. The Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I think it's Highlander. Yes. There we go. Good beard. Yeah, great beard. Uh, also, good mustache. For example, the Untouchables, good mustache. Also, didn't Ri- he have a beard Rising in Sun? Rising Sun? Yeah. I mean, he pretty much, yeah. he had some sort of facial hair in all of his films post, like, Never Say Never Again, practically. You'd be hard pressed to find one where he didn't after that. The man who would be king. That was way phenomenal before, that, was before that. Yeah. 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 Yes, it was. But that was in between his bond stints. Yes, this is true. This is very true. Good lamb chops. So uh what's up with you? What's new? What's cracking? Not much. Uh well we uh not much. I bought some oh, you know what? I what it, I I take that back and okay. pardon me, everyone. It is Friday, mm-hmm. uh, four fifty PM as we record this. So stumbling on my words a little bit. This last week, uh Monday, I went to see Rumble in the Bronx, Hong Kong Cut as a double feature Ooh. with Jackie Chan's first strike, Hong Kong Cut at the New Beverly Cinema, joined by stunt coordinator, stunt man, Aaron. Vargas. Oh, Mr. Vargas. How yes. fun. Did you, was there anybody else there? Anybody of note well, yeah. also? Or? Uh, well, anyone of note, like my friend. Yeah. So Aaron was there yes. uh, with, with his girlfriend, Cassell. I w- uh, the Duffies also came out, okay. uh, Selena and Owen. But I can't say that there was anyone of note, but there was somebody I recognized, but I just kept squinting trying to see if I could pull the name out of my head and I couldn't. Okay. Okay, it's possible, it's possible. Yeah, unfortunately, I was uh, out of the state, couldn't make that one. However, we just discovered, shamefully enough, and I don't know how we didn't know about this beforehand, that this entire month of May, once again, I was out of town anyway, uh, or out of the state for this first weekend's worth of shows, but they're doing an entire tribute to Sammo Hung this month at, is it the American Film Institute? I believe so, the Academy, yes. Yeah. Uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures, maybe, is what it is? Yes. Yeah. So it's an entire run of Samuel Hung movies for the month of May. So the first weekend was Eastern Condors, I think, right? Mm. Or No, no. no uh, Eastern was... Condors is next weekend, okay. and I have a ticket to that. Yeah. So what? which ones did we miss? Millionaire's Express? Millionaire's Express, Pedicab Driver. Oh. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But, and then the, week, uh, the weekend of the 20th... They're doing Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, but I can't I go. I'm going to a charity event. Yeah, that's and, Saturday. Right. However, we do have tickets for the last weekend where they're going to be doing a double Joyce Meenica Denzi screening, because these are obviously mm-hmm. films Sammo was involved in, of She Shoots Straight. We've already done an episode on that. Go back and listen to it. We love that film. But also, uh, License to Steal. 
Yes. Which I've never seen because it's super, I haven't either. it's super hard to get a hold of. So that I'm super excited for that. And I may stay the next day and go see Mr. Nice Guy as well. I know. But you can't I make was that just watching. I was, I was having my uh, late 90s, uh, mid 90s Jackie Chan fix. So after I saw the double feature the next day, I went home and started streaming uh, Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, it would be kind of fun to watch that on the big screen too, but I I can't make that yeah. one, unfortunately, with work. Mr. Nice Guy, and that's a unique one too, because that's another one I saw like right when it came out. The thing is, a lot of those, it was hard for me to go see in theaters, because keep in mind, I'm like 11, 12 years old. I didn't have, and my older brother was, was is three years older than me. So at that time, he still, he would have maybe had his permit at best. So he couldn't drive us to the movies yet. So a lot of those Jackie ones, I didn't get to go I'd go see in theaters. I'd rent them as soon as they came out on VHS, but it wasn't until around rush hour that I was able to start going to theaters and seeing them all. But like the re-releases of Twin Dragons and mm-hmm. you know First Strike or any of those, unfortunately, I didn't really get to go see. And sometimes they wouldn't even be playing at my local theaters, like in Modesto. They like, for example, I remember one time, I think it was when they re-released Drunken Master, they the closest movie theater that was playing it was Tracy, which was like 25, 30 minutes away. But instead, I just bought the Tai Sang VHS tape from Suncoast Video. So I was watching it at home while I was playing in theaters. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> well, you know, well, oh, I, go um, ahead. So in watching the Jackie Chan double feature this week, and which leads us to maybe closing out this month with Samuel Hung features, um, I'm going to say that I'm going to go out on a limb. Rumble in the Bronx and First Strike are not Jackie Chan's best films, but they are actual bona fide masterclasses in stunt work. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Rumble in the Bronx has a has phenomenal stunt sequences, and First Strike is a masterclass in intricate long cut. I mean that the latter sequence is what I'm talking about in that film. That is probably one of the greatest uh, action sequences you can have. Period. Well, and I think they were also the perfect films to introduce the American audience to Jackie Chan. And yes, we all know he had uh, the big brawl in 1980 and then the protector in 85, but you know, those did not perform as well as they had hoped. In fact, the protector was a massive flop and yes, the cannonball run movies he was in. But when kind of reintroducing him to American audiences, these films, because I agree with you, they're not his best films. They're amazing films, but they're not his best, but they were the perfect introduction to Jackie Chan to the American audience for a few reasons. A, Rumble in the Bronx, it's set in America, right? So you're still getting Jackie, you're getting do- Jackie doing Jackie action, but it is an overwhelming uh, uh, kind of uh, thrown in your face, whole new culture, whole new, it's not like it's mm-hmm. set in Hong Kong or something else, or, you know, audiences could easily relate to a lot of what was going on on screen. And same thing with First Strike. It's kind of got this international espionage feel. It's Mm -hmm. all over the world, Russia, Australia. So plot wise, both of these films were easy to digest for American audiences. Uh, They were able to connect to it. And I, that's why I think they were just the perfect films, just like, you know, Mr. Nice Guy followed shortly after that, right? Like, who am I? These were, these were very, international type feeling action pictures you know so for example gorgeous didn't get a u.s theatrical release but it did get the straight to like vhs when it came out Mm -hmm. but that was maybe one they're like okay it's a little more uh you know obviously it's kind of uh deconstructing the the romance genre but it's also a little more hong kong-esque so uh I, i agree with you in your assessment but yeah both films technically have 
some absolutely incredible stunt work, incredible action sequences. And that goes to a credit also goes to Stanley Tong, you know, because the teamwork he does with Jackie uh, is great. And because it also allows Jackie, I think maybe when he doesn't have to worry about who's directing and so forth, he can focus strictly on performance Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. character development, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it, it, it's spot on. Spot on there. Oh, just thank you, mate. Yeah, just a lot of fun watching those films. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing Samuel Hung on the big screen. It's been a while, been a very long while. I think the last time I saw Samuel on the big screen was Encounters of a Spooky Kind 2. But before that is when you and I were in the movie theater together, not realizing we were at the New Beverly at the same time. Yeah, that was probably both- Eastern Condors, right? It was yeah. Eastern Condors, so now I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna get to see Eastern Condors again. Excited about that! Awesome. And maybe just maybe if I get off of work early enough, Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, which oh, I've man. never seen on the big screen. Neither have I, and I really wish I could. But uh, I go to a charity event every year in Bakersfield for uh, the mm-hmm. Bakersfield Police Department, and that takes priority a hundred percent because it's a yes. very good cause. So. Uh, other martial arts movie news. Unfortunately, I just saw last night that the new Kung Fu TV series has been canceled after three seasons. Uh, and I'm super bummed because I'm a huge fan of that show. Never thought I was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned before, the only reason I even started watching it is because uh, I went to high school with uh, one of the showrunners, the now producer and like head writer. Uh, his Technically, he graduated a year before me, but I was uh, his brother is one of my very best friends in high school. And so I that, I gave it a chance just because of that. I was like, all right, Richard, you know, is writing this and stuff. Uh, I'll give it a shot. And we loved it, Jessica, and I love the show. It's a lot of yeah. fun. It's, it's you know, a throwback to kind of the 90s action television series with a bunch of fantasy wuxia elements. Uh, yeah, it's, it can be hokey and cheesy and over the top, but it also has a lot of great... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, heart to it. it has a lot of yeah you know humanity to it and it has some great stories about family and you know even for jessica being a first generation asian american there's a lot she can relate to in the story even me living in china for over five years there's a lot of the chinese culture stuff that you know i can relate to and we've just really enjoyed the show and we still have i think like three episodes left of season three where we we were waiting until okay. it came out on hbo max which it does so that we didn't have to watch it on the cw app with commercials but now it sucks because now I'm going to watch these last three episodes or so and be like, oh, crap. You know, it, it's because it, there's no way the, it's going to end on a cliffhanger just because I know all they have so of many different storylines. Because lines. they're anticipating. Yeah. And so I'm really bummed. Uh, who knows? Maybe I hire Maybe someone it. will pick it up. Like Maybe Netflix someone will, do yeah. a fourth season. That would be nice. I mean, and who knows? It just kind of sucks. I, I was reading the CW is going through like a restructuring. And I think mm-hmm. uh, they've only pretty much of all their original content they had going on, they only kept two shows. One of those being Walker, uh, the Walker reboot, which I've refused to even look at. I yeah, I can't. But I, from what I read, I think they got bought out by like a British company or something because they're going to be focusing on like really lower budget British and Canadian television series now. I don't know. Okay. Either which way, it's a bummer because that whole cast is awesome and I I feel like the, the Walker, show- Walker, Canadian Mountie. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, my condolences to all the the Kung Fu series uh, actors and uh, 
you know, staff and all of them. And hopefully maybe a miracle happens and gets picked up by somebody else. Otherwise, other martial arts movie news can't really think of much. You know, and uh, this is, I, you're you're my fact checker. Okay. When it comes to what I see on Twitter, but I see that Nicholas Tse's direct, uh, directorial debut, pol- new police story two. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's so a go. That's, and, that's and, my and, news. And Daniel Wu is back for it too. So yes, it really makes me wonder: is it an actual sequel? Because I can't remember. Did it, Daniel Wu so doesn't he die? They at the say end? it's confirmed confirmed as a direct sequel to the previous film with Daniel Wu returning as the primary antagonist. So maybe he didn't die at the end. It's been so long since I've watched it, I, I couldn't remember. So. Okay, that's cool. And that and that makes me more excited because I was like, all right, you're going to reboot something that was technically a reboot because for people that don't know, New Police Story was not part of the Police Story series. It was a whole new character for Jackie Chan and uh, is a Benny Chan film. Great movie. I've been meaning to rewatch it. So I really need to make that a priority uh, to, to give that a go because it was kind of that weird in-between time for Jackie mm-hmm. where films were starting to slip and, you know, I... And it's a, it's a good movie. It's just, I, it also has a lot of like heavy drama to it. And it's just been a while since I've seen it. So I need to rewatch it, but it's very exciting. Uh, Nicholas Say also recently was the action director for one of his other most recent films. And I can't think of the English title right now, like Custom Frontline or something. So mm-hmm. it's cool to see him actively getting back into movies because he took like almost a 10 year break and he was a professional chef. We talked about this a few episodes back, but Hey, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. And I think he's definitely, he's been in the business long enough to where he he's got a good eye for action. He's worked with some of the best directors wise. I mean, he's worked obviously with Jackie, Benny, Chan, uh, Donnie, you know, all those guys as far as choreography and everything else too. So, Hey, I'm for it. I'm down new police story too. Let's do it. Yeah. Otherwise, so, uh, martial arts movie news. You brought some good stuff today. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's. Thank all. you. I've, well, I've been doing some research. Excellent. That's what I love to hear. Uh, I'm trying to think. The only other new thing for me is I've uh, now watched Death Wish one through three. And oh wow! I'm so a, you got through three with Ed Lauder and the Cockroach. Yeah, and I'm about halfway through four, but I need to start from the beginning. Four, I was distracted and doing other things, but I think I'm liking four the best. And I think you mentioned that four is the Punisher one, right? Yes. So I'm going to go on record. Yeah. Death Wish 4, the crackdown for me is not a Death Wish movie. It is the only true Punisher adaptation. So throw throw the characters' names out and just uh, go ahead and put Frank Castle in instead of uh, Paul Kersey. And yeah, enjoy the film. It is. It has just enough zaniness carried over from Death Wish uh, Four. You mean Death, and Death Wish Three? Death Wish Three. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and it, yeah, it just it, it kind of like settles back down into reality while being also very comic booky. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. It. I need to restart that one. But uh, yeah, and then anything else? No. So let's let's segue. Do you have some quotes for me today? I do. I do have one co- quote. Okay. You are all garbage. Rumble in the Bronx. There you go. You, you, you You're didn't all really, garbage. Yeah, exactly. You didn't really say it like Jackie. You kind of said it almost Shakespearean, and I was like, "Oh, you are all garbage." Like that's kind of his more. That's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Rumble in the Bronx. That was kind of Arnold. What? No, you are all garbage. Uh, but yeah, great. I, I love that. That's the line that he blurts out because you know he's struggling with his handles on English in that. In yeah. that. 
time frame of his life. And when he just blurts that out, that is definitely something a character with his level of English would say because of the the amount of anger he has towards them. And it's a good insult because we don't say that enough in English either. And so it's kind of like, damn, he just called me garbage. <laughs> you are all garbage. Like, yeah, wow, <laughs> shit, all right. Oh, pardon my French, sorry. Okay, that's a great quote. So uh, should we get into talking about the film we're gonna talk about today? Let's let's do it. Okay, today we are talking about the 2017 samurai action film, Blade of the Immortal, directed by the one and only Takashi Miike, did I say it right? I th- yeah, yeah, Takashi, I think it's Miike. Yeah, that, I think so, they, that, and that's eyes. the way it's, it, it, like I always hear people say it's Takashi Miike pretty much, but okay. So anyways, adapted from uh, the super popular manga series. Uh, it stars, you know, people I'm not too familiar with, but uh, Takuya Kimura as Manji, our protagonist, who mm-hmm. uh, was a famous Japanese pop star before becoming a famous Japanese actor. And then also Hana Sugisaki, who technically plays two characters, but her main one is Rin Asano. And then obviously we have a bunch of other ones that we'll we'll get to talking about. But this film was Gavin's idea. And it's very last second because we've both been super busy. So fantastic choice. I have it on Blu-ray because I love it so much. I know I I, I bought it uh, when it first came out here in America, but I got to see it before it came out in America. So I will share my first time watching this film was in 2017 and it it came out in Japan in April, 2017. And I hadn't heard anything about this movie and I don't know how it just slipped past my radar. I don't know, but that summer, so it was about June or so, I took a last second trip to Asia. So Jessica and I, uh, she unfortunately had, uh, her work had finished uh, the job she was at. It was kind of a, a last second thing. And her parents were going to the Philippines. They had a pre-planned trip. And so Jessica's mom's from the Philippines. And we've been to the Philippines before, but just vacation spots. We've never gone to where her mom's family is because it isn't really safe to go by yourself if you don't know like the lay of the land. And so Jessica had always wanted to meet mostly her grandma, who she had never met. And so it was a very last second thing. Uh, you know, Jessica's job ended and I I think it was like two weeks before they were leaving. And they're like, should, we're like, should we just go? Uh, and we're like, yeah. So we booked last second tickets. I went out a week early. And so I went to Shanghai because I, uh, I technically had only been back in America a little over a year at that point. So, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to see my, my coach in Shanghai and my friends. So I went to Shanghai, I want to say for about four or five days. And then I went to Hong Kong for about a week and then met up with Jessica in the Philippines. But so long story short, we were flying back on separate flights. You know, I tried to get on the same flight as her as nearly impossible. We were like an hour apart. It was ridiculous. But I was flying on Japan Airlines. And so, first of all, any Japanese airline is awesome. Even though it's only like a four or five hour flight from Manila to Tokyo where I was connecting, I got a snack first. And I'm not talking about like the Southwest snacks. I just had the little snack bag. I got a straight up bento box with like sushi and stuff. Then I get my full meal, which was even more incredible. And wow. But anywho, I go to the in-flight entertainment and I see this film, Blade of the Immortal. And I'm like, huh. And then it says directed by Takeshi Miike. And I'm like, oh, okay. Who's a very prolific action director. Uh, mm-hmm. Ichi the Killer, uh, amongst other films. And I was like, well, all right. Well, I guess I'll give this a shot. 
And I just, my mind was blown. And this film deserves so much more than the little tiny, you know, airplane TV, but that's how good it was. And I was like, how, what, how did I miss this? How did I not even know about this? And then I look up and it had just come out. I'm like, wow. And then, so it did get its American release. So I picked it up on Blu-ray. It was on Hulu for years. I'm not sure what it's on now. Is it on Tubi or... It, it is actually, it is back on Hulu. Oh, okay. And it was not on Hulu earlier this year. Oh, okay, perfect. So you watched they, it on- They've brought on some more, Jap- they've brought on a few Japanese films that I, I really love on Hulu. I had I was looking where to stream this film for the rewatch before this episode, and it popped up on Hulu. Perfect. And so- Yeah, so when was your first time watching it? So my first time seeing the poster and not knowing anything about it being based on anime or anything was uh, when it was getting its US release- uh, which was probably around 2017, 18. Yeah, it was pretty um, uh, soon after. It wasn't too yeah. long after. Yeah. So it was posted up in, in like a few restaurants that I go. To, I was going frequenting at the time. And I'm like, I need to go to this. Uh, the Lamley in Pasadena was playing it for one week only. And I missed it. Boo. So it was, I know, fast forward many years, uh, say about five years, because that's 2017, 2023. Earlier this year, before I go to Japan, I decide I want to start listening to Japanese again. And what was that one movie I never saw with? Uh, so it's it's a uh, in Japan he's known as Kimutaku, so his name is shortened. Okay. So what was that one movie with Kimutaku? And then like it popped up. I found I think I found it on Tubi, and so I played it, loved it. Uh, so, but it was uh, I went to Japan in March. So I watched it in February for the first time this year. I have since watched it three times now, or four times to, in total. So, just like rewatching it because there is an emotional component to films. There is an exciting component to films where, at first viewing, sometimes I'll think, "Wow, this is a great film," and then I need to check myself. Like, right? Can it be really that great? Let me go back and rewatch this. I'm like, yeah, I love this. Went to Japan, came back. Let me rewatch it along with some other Japanese films because I was just really feeling the language. Not didn't want to read the subtitles, the English subtitles. So, uh, and then rewatched it again uh, last night. Yeah, it's uh, the interesting part is each time I watch it, I still love it. I've shown it to some friends and even Jessica. She was like, it was okay. It wasn't her favorite, even though, and she's an anime fan and stuff. And I was kind of, I, I was very intrigued by that, but I still love it. And quite frankly, you know, I'm not the the manga uh, expert, but mm-hmm. it's probably next to Lone Wolf and Cub. It's my favorite manga adaptation, right? Well, and you know, it's it this there is a similarity in the story. And I was actually thinking about that last night about wow, why am I gravitating towards this? And I also gravitate, and then I realized I gravitate towards Lone Wolf and Cub. It's a very similar kind of story. Exactly. Arc, a little, di- little different. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we should just like, I've never read the manga. I actually ordered the, I went to the three stores trying to find the book. Well, went to one store called two. What? Couldn't find it. And one, one's on its way because I wanted to read it before we uh, did the recording, but it was, it first came out in... In 1993, so it ran in a weekly comic or weekly magazine, 1993 through 2012. Uh, so then after that, it was five years before the film came out. But it's just very interesting that it isn't necess- it's a highly respected comic or manga, but it's not necessarily the most read manga. And and I think it's, I think it's, uh, I don't want to say it's an acquired taste. It is definitely, uh, it's the difference between 
Rumble in the Bronx and Gorgeous, ah. where Rumble in the Bronx is easy. I don't want to say easy access, but it's easier to, it's more accessible. Whereas Gorgeous, even the fighting sequences where they're talking about, where they're changing the the weights of the punch of the gloves that they're using, you know, it, it's more for an aficionado of action. Mm. So I would say Blade of the Immortal is is definitely for those of us who really love action movies. I like it. I like it. And there are a lot of parallels between this and Lone Wolf and Cub. But I think that's just kind of inevitable when you're dealing with these, you know, the period and any sort of even Chambara type of movie. But yeah, so pretty much the story, our main character is Manji, right? And yes. he is a samurai of sorts or whatever. And he fig- he pretty much, he realizes that his master or whoever uh, is sends him on a, a corrupt mission and in return he decides to kill him and his bodyguards mm-hmm. one of the bodyguards actually being his brother-in-law and his sister witnesses him kill her husband and pretty much goes crazy she goes cuckoo so now he's stuck taking care of his uh mentally disturbed sister she's you know completely lost her marbles and so that's where the beginning of the movie is and they do a really cool thing where they start in black and white and he's also a wanted man for having betrayed his government position killing his master and uh the bodyguards and so pretty much a a group of bounty hunters corners him kills his sister and then he a group, aka yeah. one hundred or yeah. so. There's there's like a hundred guys, and so because they make the mistake of killing his sister, he kills all of them. And then it's him and the final guy, and then they sort of kill each other in a sense. But right as Manji is going to die, a I guess you could call her almost like a witch, a sorcerer, sh- yes. shows up and gives him immortality through blood worms. So these are like worms that enter his body. And won't let him die. They'll heal any wound. They obviously keep him young. But so now he's got this curse of immortality. Hence the title Blade of the Immortal. So he's left to wander the land. You know, having lost his sister now. Uh, the the scars he got before the blood worms remain. So he technically, I, I guess he only has one eye, right? Because the other eye got sliced open in that opening battle. So he's got yes, a very cool so he, look to him. He's got two big old scars on his face. He's got a closed up eye, but now he's pretty much not invincible because it still hurts him and stuff. He's he's like a slower functioning Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like he, for example, he, he can get up. his he can get his hand sliced off, and then he's got to just go up close. Well, which that wouldn't happen to Wolverine because of the animantium, right? But then he just kind of gets close to his sliced off hand, and the worms will connect it back together. So that's the beginning. As soon as the worms enter his body, we switch over to color. And then the story uh, picks up 50 years later. And that's where it uh, focuses on the character of Rin Asano, played by Hana Sugasaki, the actress, who also played his sister. So it's the same actress. So therefore, when he first sees her, he's like, oh, he thinks it's his sister. But anyways, her clan is wiped out by uh, Kagahisa uh, Anatsu, who is the leader of uh, the what the Ituryu, a kind of uh, how would you describe them? A they're they're like a I don't want to call them a private club, but they're the they're like a school 
uh, that believes that they are the best. And so they go around wiping out any any potential competition so right. that the the shogunate and the warlords rely on them right, as, they, as the top. And But they're also not formal. They're like outcasts because they use yes. uh, obscure weapons. Like, for example, yes. his main weapon's the axe. And so, therefore, they're considered like lower class in a sense. But anyways, they wipe out her family due to past grudges. And as she's left to bury her father and so forth, the witch shows up and tells her being Rin to find this guy Manji and he can be her bodyguard and he has immortality. And so that's how they hook up. And the story goes from there with Manji serving as her Yojimbo or bodyguard. At first he's reluctant, but then he comes to care for her like a sister, not just because she looks like a sister, it's just they build this bond. And then there's a bunch of political intrigue from there when it comes to the Ituryo clan and Kagehisa, you know, and just all these other colorful characters, whether it's they're part of the Ituryo clan or whether they're rival clans or assassins and whoever. So it's very manga-esque in that sense of where not so much like Lone Wolf, where there's these tiny vignettes throughout and then it's an underlying kind of narrative. This one is more of a straightforward narrative. It's, you know, everything's pretty uh, tied together, but we just get a bunch of cool, awesome characters, too many to even talk about. But it's, that's the thing I like is it's very comic book-esque in the sense of, yeah, you've got normal people, but you've also got a bunch of awesome, definitely anachronistic in a sense, you know, with the like the style and the hair and some of that. But it is just very cool because it feels like you're watching a manga or anime come to life in the best kind of way. It, it's 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 such a nuanced film while being so over the top. And I, I obviously Miike is able to find this unique balance because there are there there's also great subtle comedy in it, even though there's nothing subtle about the film. But the the line delivery of so it's Takuya Kimura or Kimutaku as as like. Uh, I'm used to as my sister and I are used to referring to him because he uh, uh, just just how, his per who he was when we were there. Um, but now I sound I feel really pretentious saying that. So Takuya Kimura uh, has this really great way of delivering lines that maybe Samuel L. Jackson or uh, John Travolta would deliver in Pulp Fiction. Mm. They are kind of outlandish lines that are smack you in the face. But his subtle delivery is so uh, is so like the antithesis of like yelling out the big comedic moment that it you get the comedy the more you watch it. With each passing, like it's funnier and funnier, even though it's not a funny film. Like his it, it actually it's we've talked about this before, where where when we're watching action or drama, uh some film, some films just keep the pedal to the metal on the drama, whereas there are others that pepper in a little bit of comedy here and there to relieve the tension a little, and then hit us with more drama, and then it it's, it takes us as an audience uh, deeper into the film and deeper into the experience. Perfect, perfect analysis, and I hundred percent agree. His performance, not just the 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 timing and the comedic one liners, but his body language, he really embodies this character the manji character and then also later in the film he faces against another immortal a monk uh who's mm -hmm. actually like 200 something years old 
uh-huh. and talks in a great voice like this. It's very deep. I, I just, I like the character, but, and this character has managed to find. So these are, if I'm not mistaken, Himalayan bloodworms. And so on yes. a trip to the Himalayas, he finds bloodworm poison and he puts on a sword and he severely injures Manji. And then so therefore the bloodworms are working a lot slower pretty much for the rest of the movie. Uh, and I, I just feel he really does a good job of showing the physicality, not only in offensively in the way he moves with the sword and in the action, but also just the pain he's constantly in because this dude yes. is getting sliced up nonstop. And obviously after having lived for, you know, probably like 70 something years and he knows that he can heal, he can be sometimes a little more reckless in battle. So then he has to kind of be a little more focused on his technique, I, you know, because like at first it's like, oh, I can get sliced up. I can even, you know, in fact, there's one point like in one of the later battles where he has to slice off his own hand to escape, you know, so he can do things like that. But as the movie progresses, he's healing a lot slower. So it's, it's, it's like Wolverine in the film, Wolverine, the one in Japan where he's poisoned with that mm -hmm. kind of spider thing. So he can still heal. He's just a lot slower and weaker. And that's kind of what happens to Manji in a sense. I, I love that you pointed that out because I was actually going to bring, bring that element up in the, in the sword sequences and the fight sequences where early on he is so neglectful of protecting himself. And it's almost like he's a sloppy swordsman. He keeps getting cut. And is this like there are points in the film where we're early on where I'm like, is this really our protagonist? Because he keeps getting cut. But we should note in that opening sequence, the first one, the black yes. and white one, he's phenomenal. Nobody like touches. Oh, well, yeah. He does eventually get, you know, his eye this. But that's because he fights literally like 100 guys. Yes. So, so the, that's the, when the he's still sequence, mortal. Yeah. Yeah. The opening sequence, when his life is on the line, he is just, it's clean, crisp, cutting. But then when once he is, he is... Once he has become one with the bloodworms, he's sloppy. It's like, it's part of his saying, you stab me. Okay, great. Now, now I'm going to kill you. But uh, what's funny is once he does have the poison, all of a sudden he becomes more sharp, more on point, try protecting himself so he can last through to protect his, to protect Reen as she goes on, on this journey of, of revenge, which, you know, it's very interesting what I find what I find very interesting about this film is again the the over the topness, uh, kind of balanced with this subtle storyline of revenge because you have like you have different you have the early revenge the fresh revenge of Reen you have uh, Manji's sort of going for revenge just because he's going along with it but he's kind of burnt out and then you have the the woman uh, samurai along the way who or the woman swordsman along the way who uh essentially is feels guilty for the for what she can do with her sword yeah. so you have these you have these different characters who have different feelings of of what it means to to be so good at the sword and to seek revenge and to and the cost of revenge excellent yeah uh and so once again just so many cool unique characters without overwhelming us with too many, right? You know, because there are little subplots and this and that. But as I said, it's all intertwined really well because it's all centered on the same sort of thing. It's technically in the end, it's it's almost like everyone's after the Ituryu for their own reasons. And we get phenomenal action sequences throughout the entire thing. So you never have to go too long without an action sequence in this film. 
And I will say the all of the sequences are phenomenal. Now, there there isn't really a single hand-to-hand combat sequence in this film. It's all weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh but no I had no problem with that. It's all it's phenomenal. It's really well done. And I I was trying to figure out who really the straight up fight choreographer was or action director was. And it doesn't say on IMDb. It doesn't say online. So I took pictures when the ending credits came up. And so uh-huh. there's two people listed for the sword fight choreography, uh, Keiji Tsuji and Masayoshi Daguchi. And then there's also the special weapons master, Akira Sakamoto. So maybe he may have been the one for, because we have a lot of cool intricate weapons outside of just samurai swords. We have like hooks and daggers and spears and intricate ninja-like weapons almost. So, and then there's also action coordinators, which I think is almost uh, a typo. It's supposed to be stuntmen because there's about 50 names under action coordinators. So, but the interesting part is it. This is, so for example, I just recently, as I had mentioned before, watched uh, Sakura with Donnie Yen, right? And I was disappointed in uh, the fight scenes because they they just utilize way too much special effects, way too much kind of, as opposed to traditional wire work. Whereas this one utilized traditional wire work in a modern setting and it's brilliant the way they do it. And it's not like they do it all the time. Most of the action is pretty grounded, but they also do a decent amount of wire work, but it's all real effects. It's not CG. And this is the kind of stuff I would have loved to have seen in Sakura with Donnie Yen. And the interesting part is, you know, his longtime choreographer Kenji did the, uh, the, the, the fight scenes and so forth. But I, I just feel like something, you know, fell flat in that film it it was not authentic it was too uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't know it's i i feel like i so i haven't seen the film yet so i can't speak specifically to it but i have seen films where we have certain expectations and when we watch them it's as though not that they rushed the scenes but that it's it's more obligatory. Everything is like formulatic, scientific, and not creative and artistic. And that's what we have in Blade of Immortal. It it is very cre- it is extremely creative. Well, and the thing is, so Kenji, uh, so that be uh, being Kenji uh, Tanagaki, the longtime collaborator with Donnie Yen, he did, for example, the Roroni Kenshin films, and the action in those are phenomenal as well. And I feel like that's and similar to the style of this film, but even kind of more intricate. And I feel like that's what Donnie was going for in Sakura, but just too much special effects. And a lot of that had to do with some of the sets being almost what looked like entirely green screened. And Mm -hmm. whereas in this film, you're getting grounded, real comic book style action, right? So obviously wire work, intricate weapons, fantasy-like element, but it still has a sense of realism because there's so much just straightforward Kenjutsu or, you know, Budo samurai sword action and choreography. And I, I didn't watch a single fight scene in this film and be like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, that could have been better. It's everything was just so well done. Um, I think I, what I really appreciated about this film and the fight sequences were the, were the, was the pacing. 
mm. and allowing like the the fighters to fight. But also there were times where we cut away and you would see each person trying to set their feet in wet mud or even in, in spilled blood where you, you know, you see a slip, you, you see them twist and try to set their feet. It took time to tell us the story. It wasn't, they weren't just trying to rush through to get to the ending. They allowed for comedy to happen. They allowed for, um, con like internal conflict to happen with characters. And they also allowed for time of how a person's gripping a sword differently, how a person's, uh, engaging, uh, differently with their body and how they're shifting, moving. It's it. There's a lot of there's a lot of creativity in this film, and the filmmakers are patient, despite it being essentially kind of an over the top film. I mean, the hairstyles alone are <laughs> extremely over the top and fun. Yeah, as I said, and definitely anachronistic, but that's commonplace in manga and stuff. You know, having this colorful hair and this style that wouldn't have really been around at that time. But yeah, because none of even though we have our two immortal characters in the film, nobody has like superpowers per se. So once again, bringing it back to like Sakura, for example, where there is supposed to be that kind of wuxia element of some slightly superish powers, but it's still just it just didn't work in that movie. Whereas in this film, yes, there's some wire work, like some people able to jump over or like jump down from high uh, places, but that's why it, it just works very well. It's just traditional wire work and you believe it all because like you mentioned it, they are in a sense mortal, even though technically uh, our protagonist is immortal, but that doesn't give him like superpowers, right? Like he's susceptible to things that everybody else is like getting caught in quicksand or like mm -hmm. you mentioned the little bit where they're slipping on the blood because they've killed so many people and, you know, they can't even get a, a stance on the ground and so these are kind of these little beats that bring the realism back to it, right? Yeah. In I a mean, very unrealistic a, setting, in a sense. Yeah, there, there's a sense of there's a sense of doom surrounding our lead character at all times. We we don't know if he's gonna make it through the film. We don't know if he's gonna be able to complete his mission of protecting Rin and helping her extract the revenge that she's hired him for. We don't we don't know who's going to double cross next. It, it's it's a lot of fun and it's all, it's a lot of, uh, it's very audacious, but yet it's so grounded. It, it just, it's, and so we were talking about Takeshi Miike as well. This is, they I guess when this was released, they were calling it his 100th project because it, they were counting like TV episodes that mm -hmm. he had directed as well. But you can see that this is essentially uh, a filmmaker who has a ton of experience, but is tr just absolute confidence behind the camera and behind the editing and, and in how he directs the performers in the scenes. Agreed. A hundred percent. And I, I think I read somewhere him saying that this is his favorite film he's ever done. And I, I can easily see why. And slight spoiler alert, it, it, it leaves itself open for a sequel. It does. Yeah. It, and and that's okay. that's okay. Oh, I mean, I would uh, I'd be 100% down for a sequel. I would too. I I want to I I would love to spend more time with Manji. Period. Yeah. He's so fun. He's so uh crusty. He's so crusty, uh, crusty. I like vibrant. that. He, I mean, he's really crusty. He, yeah. he, this is he plays he looks young, but he kind of plays it like he's uh Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, you know, because he is, he's probably at this point in time of the, of his character's life, Manji's probably in his eighties. Oh yeah. If that, not more. Yeah. Because it's 50 years later. So exactly. That would yeah. be, 
kind of his age, so most likely. It, it makes sense that he's that he's kind of crusty in in some scenes, but it's a it's a really fun film. I would definitely uh, spend more time with the character. And despite the fact that I don't necessarily read a lot of manga, and I, I tried to get the book before this uh, before our recording, I, I I ordered it and I'll read it because I I just like Manji so much. Yeah. No, I think. Uh... I'm uh, I'm interested to see what you think about it, and I, I have a feeling that this is uh, a series that could easily be remade over and over again. I mean, for example, we talked about the Punisher earlier, another comic book that has been yeah. remade multiple times with different actors I, each time. It, it never gets like its own direct sequel. It's kind of a reboot every time. Yeah, but quite frankly, I, know, I would like to see the same crew come back. I know. I know that. Um, I know that they tried to animate to to do a series twice, and each time it was short lived. Oh. So, like the first one ended pretty quickly, and then the second one, I was going into some reviews online. Uh, it truncated the story, so everything was just super fast going yeah. through. So, you, so it, it, you know, and that's all, a, that's all, a problem with any sort of adaptation from even a novel, right? It's and yeah. that's that's why we have a, an Oscar for best adapted screenplay because it is no easy task to adapt something that's novel length or comic book length, you know, multiple issues into one film. Unless you're like Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna you're gonna get like 18 movies to make the entire story yeah. arc from you know The Hobbit through Lord of the Rings and all that. And it's also yeah, hard exactly. to pick what you throw in there and what you don't. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so then, you know, fans of it may, certain fans may get the characters they wanted, like, oh, and then others might be like, well, where's my favorite character? He's not even in there. It's like, well, you know, we only have two hours. We can't put in everybody. Uh, so, you know, that's why sequels would be great because then we could have more of these cool characters that pop up in the manga, right? Because uh, I'm sure there's probably a plethora of them to draw from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, source material that is this rich can lead itself to something as great as this film. Of course, source material like this also means something gets left out. I, I think like I'm reading a quote from Takashi Miike. Um, wait, the, the original author, Hiro Aki Samura, um, stated that he rejected Hollywood's suggestion for a live action Due to the changes Westerners tend to make in regards to Miike's film, he had this to say. When a film adaptation is made, it is often criticized by the fans of the original, but rather I have more fun when arrangements are made. As a film, it was completed with perfect quality. I think it was made as I expected. So that's the original author talking about the Miike adaptation or in his terms, the Miike arrangement. And that's awesome. And at the end of the day, you're never going to be able to please everybody. No. No. But you, all... <laughs> I'll tell you what, you please these two dudes. Yeah, that's true. I definitely give this film an A, without a doubt. I love it. Yes. Uh, no matter, you know, it's, uh, I guess the only slight criticism I have after all these years is maybe it's it's a little long, but really that it doesn't bother me, you know? Yeah. It's, I, it, yeah. it's funny because it is, it is, over two hours, like two hours, 14, two hours, 12 yeah. minutes. And for an action samurai film that is that is more based on the action rather than like Harakiri where, you know, you have Tatsuya Nakadai talking about the drama in his life leading up to one or two action sequences max. 
Uh, it is a little long for an action film, but it just works because, you know, if nothing else, just look at the hair and have fun for a few minutes. Oh, and yeah. Then, yeah. The costume and the characters, as I said, I, I think yeah. outside of our protagonist, my favorite, uh, Manji, I think my favorite character is the monk. Yeah, the monk is a great character. I, I also kind of like the guy who double crosses him because he makes a great, uh, he makes a great uh semi-personal antagonist along the way rather than just the main antagonist that uh Rin is seeking revenge against right um but that that character is not that good of a human being <laughs> yes and uh our uh the actor who plays the monk i should say is i'm probably gonna oh wow ichikawa ebizo c oh so maybe he's i'm not sure or or oh no the eighth Ich- ichikawa donjuro the eighth. Ooh. Oh, and he's a Japanese kabuki film, television actor, and stage producer. Wow. Yeah. And he has a very distinct, like deep, deep voice. And I, I almost you know, wonder that's, if that's, that's his real, real. Yeah. Is it his real voice, you think? I think so. I think or so it's too. his stage voice. Right. So maybe he it's it's a performance, but it's I, I can't admit it's it's the whole time he's talking like this. It's it's just very, very it's a cool character he created. The film also features Min Tanaka, which is kind of kind of really cool because he has a great uh, filmography, and it's just I didn't anticipate seeing him in this film. I don't know why, but then he he's there. Well, uh, there you go. So, any final closing thoughts on Blade of the Immortal? Uh, I would say that my grade uh, matches your grade A, and it's it's. It's a film that needs your attention. It's not one you can put on in the background and then you come back and you because you will say, "Wait, what just happened?" You need to watch the whole thing, and it's over the top and subtle and fun. And it honestly, I would have loved to have seen this in the movie theater in the summertime because it is a perfect summertime popcorn movie. There you go. Yeah, I'd love to see it on the big screen. It's one of those ones that deserves a big screen viewing. So uh, now that we've pretty much wrapped that up, do you have something for Language Corner for us today? I do. I, so I was thinking about uh, thinking about swords. Okay, cool. And there, there, there's there are two two ways to pronounce sword when you when you uh, so there's ken. Okay, as in like which Kenjutsu, is sword, right? Yes, and then there's katana. Katana. Oh, so they they use the katana a lot, which I think I don't know what the nuance difference is, but I feel like samurai use the katana. So is this what ken, in, in English we usually say katana? Yes. Okay. Yes. So katana. In, sorry. Well, no, 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 not at all. I'm no. just saying. So in American vernacular, we always say katana, but it's katana. Yes, and I think so. I think the nuanced difference between katana and ken ken is ken is ken is a sword, whereas katana is a sword. Oh, the sword of the samurai, the blade it. of the immortal katana. So, to, like a ken could kind of be almost any sword, but a katana is like we all know that's revered. It's you know yes. any, anybody that's seen Kill Bill Volume Two, for example, we have a great whole sequence about Hattori Hanzo mm-hmm. being this master sword maker, and you know how much esteem goes into his swords, and just they're notorious for being the greatest. So, so I'm looking up Ken versus Katana right now. Oh, okay. And it's probably going to give me something about from Barbie because Ken. Ah, um, ah. Ken is a verb which is obsolete. 
to give birth, conceive, beget, to be born, to develop. Okay. No, definitely not Japanese. Okay, it's never okay. mind. It's okay. But so. But I, so I, yeah, in films, it's referred to katana. It's, katana is sort of the object that we use, and ken is just a sword. But And so, we for example, as- we have kenjutsu, which is the art of the sword, right? Which I think can yes. be like any sort of sword art. We have kendo, which is yes. the sport, like, which would be the way of the sword, right? Yes. And so, yeah, there we go. Ken or katana. So there's your language corner. I love it. That was perfect. Take it for fact. Yes. Cool, man. Uh, Well, this has been a lot of fun. I highly recommend people check this out. Once again, it's on Hulu, correct? Yes, it's on Hulu. Okay. and But it might also be on Tubi. It might also be on Tubi uh, and it's also for rent on YouTube. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Set aside some time to just watch it all the way through. It deserves a proper viewing. And you will not be disappointed, especially if you love Japanese action cinema at all. But if you love samurai films, if you love manga, anime, I'd say if you like anime, even though I know it's adapted technically from a manga, it's like one of those, this is how anime should be adapted to the big screen. It is a whole heck of a lot of fun. Highly recommend you all check it out. And yeah, that's pretty much it today. So we'll be back with you next week. Once again, thanks for the continued support. Remember to download the episode, subscribe wherever you listen, share with your friends, like, go ahead and write us a review somewhere. Follow us on social media. Once again, remember on Instagram, we're at Martial Arts Mania Podcast. On Twitter, we are... Oh, you're pausing for me. Yes. Martial Art Podcast. Hold on, hold on. Because there are a few and I'm opening my Twitter right now and I'm hoping... You can always engage with us over here, the Martial Arts Mania podcast or at Martial underscore podcast. Perfect. Yeah, those are our two mates. So Gavin handles- You'll find us with our logo too. Yeah. Designed by Herman Balthazar. Of Union Designs. Union Designs. So Gavin handles the Twitter. I do the Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us at either of those. And yeah. All right, my friend, this has been fun. And I will catch you next week. Take care. Peace.